0: Welcome to the Line Life podcast produced by T&D World. We are bringing you stories of the grit, courage, and inspirational teamwork that it takes to be a line worker. The guest for the February 2023 episode is Parker Worth, a substation superintendent. He was featured in T&D World's Travelers of the Line Trade series, and today he's sharing his experiences performing electrical work overseas and traveling nationwide to oversee the construction of new substations. Currently, he's working on a substation expansion project in Battawall, Washington for Par West.
1: Hello and welcome to the Line Life podcast. My name is Amy Fishbach and I'm the field editor for Transmission and Distribution World magazine. For our February 2023 podcast, I'm talking with Parker Wirth, a superintendent for substation construction, journeyman wireman, and a substation technician. Parker, thank you so much for joining us today for the Line Life Podcast.
2: Thanks for having me, Amy.
1: It's great to have you as a guest, Parker. To begin, please discuss how you got interested in a career in the energy industry.
2: I would have to say it started when I was young. I was always interested in lights and switches and then also seeing the power lines on the side of the road. She's everywhere and it's all around us and it's this mysterious energy. So I was always infatuated with it. And always looking to learn with it. I took some classes when I was younger that involved electricity, and I just had this deep fascination for it. And so eventually I went to a trade school in Colorado that would basically teach you to become a wind turbine technician. I wanted to work on the windmills and the wind turbines. I was just super interested in how energy is produced, how it's consumed, and how this complex system that we have, you know, called the grid works with all these people and all these components and all these hazardous conditions
1: and how long have you been working in the trade and what is the day in the life like for you
2: oh, i've been working around plus or minus 10 years a typical day for me now is essentially showing up to the job site wherever it may be i've been traveling pretty extensively for the past 10 years and showing up to the job site making sure I get there early and trying to organize everything for the day's task. Part of my job as a superintendent is being ahead of the work that's going on. So just planning extensively on what's going to be happening in the next two to three weeks or even a month. And then also dealing with the problems that occur on a daily basis. Then holding a safety meeting with the crew, identifying any possible hazards, making sure everyone's on the same page, discussing what our routines and our tasks are and essentially making sure everyone's on the same page and identifying anything that could go wrong. And after that, essentially meeting with the foreman, discussing what they have, any issues with material, with time, and trying to get things figured out, any issues with personnel. And then essentially doing a bunch of investigating through drawings and phone calls to material manufacturers, to project managers, and just a lot of organization and trying to plan things ahead so that Things are easily laid out for the guys that are working in the field and making sure that they're as safe as possible, making sure that they have all the tools, the equipment that are necessary for the job and, and just trying to identify any future problems that might occur. There's always some kind of gap, whether it be time or information or material, there's always something that will go wrong. And it's trying to essentially predict, not necessarily the future, but just trying to identify these possible problems and deal with them before they come up on that work day
1: no that's great parker it's good that you're prepared for those problems as they come up and as a superintendent for substation construction what do you think are some best practices when it comes to building and maintaining new substations
2: organization is is obviously key Um, making sure your ducks are all in a row knowing what material you need where it's coming from when it's going to be there uh yeah there's there's a lot that goes into it communication is the hugest one i mean there's a lot of different people, a lot of skilled people that all have to come together and hit these moving targets at the same time. So, I mean, you have truck drivers that are delivering massive loads. Do they know where they're going? Are they going to get lost? Because a lot of these places are in rural areas. So can we get them to where they need to go safely? Does the equipment operator know the load rating, how large the load is? Do we have the equipment to unload it? Um, and then, yeah, dealing with the engineers, making sure everything's drawn together, really making sure everything fits. Project managers, just making sure that everything's going to come together. There's a lot of moving parts and a lot of different people. I mean, on a substation, you have linemen, you have wiremen, you have apprentices, you have groundmen. And so, yeah, organization and communication, making sure that everybody's on the same page on the site or out of sight in the office. And uh, that's kind of what the superintendent does. It's like a bridge between all that. And if you can't effectively communicate a lot, can go wrong. And uh, it's it's certainly a topic I feel like it could be kind of cliche. Everyone says communicate, communicate, communicate. And essentially, I just try to find that if I can't correctly verbalize something to, to someone else, like the task at hand or what needs to be done, and they don't understand it, then that means I don't understand it correctly. I think there's a quote. It's like, if you can't explain something to a seven-year-old and make them understand it, then you truly don't know it. A lot of it for what I do is doing your homework and making sure that you're way ahead and just kind of looking out kind of like a space view or satellite view and looking at the project and seeing all the parts and pieces move together and making sure they're all correlating correctly.
1: Sure. That's great, Parker. And then One thing I wanted to talk to you about was copper theft. What are some ways that utilities are protecting their equipment within substations from people getting in and trying to steal the copper?
2: Yeah. So there's a lot of things that they're doing. I guess for the physical aspect of it, there's always barbed wire fences, remote locations help in the middle of nowhere, which is hard to access. And I know that they're using clad materials now, like steel clad, Mm -hmm. different types of cables that aren't made of copper. So Basically, it's essentially worth way less. I know that I've even been in some substations out in California where the utilities have their own police officers, like a utility police crew that's staged inside of the substation to ward off people from stealing anything.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great idea. And then another type of intruder, of course, is wildlife. What have you seen, done to protect animals and deter outages when it comes to substations?
2: Yes. I know that they have squirrel cages that they put on a lot of the equipment to divert animals from essentially birds or squirrels from landing on critical areas where they could short themselves to ground from a phase or something like that. I know that they have basically, like I said, fences for things like deer. There's a lot of elk in some of the uh, areas that I've worked on. And it was pretty interesting. I was actually on a wind turbine construction site, and there was a lot of environmental engineers that were doing studies to see if if the turbines were affecting any of the birds or the wildlife species out there that flew. And um, it it was interesting. So it turned out that it was actually the high speeds that people were driving were hitting and killing most of the birds on these wind turbine sites. Wow. Um, They were being hit by cars, yeah. And so it wasn't even the wind turbines themselves. So I know that after they did the study, they reduced the speed limit. I think it was like 70 miles an hour at the time. It was in a really rural area. I think it was like in Northeast Colorado. And yes, they reduced the speed limits and essentially birds could evade cars more easily. So, Wow,
1: that's interesting, Parker. I wouldn't even think that would be the case at all. I've heard a lot about that issue. And then what about in terms of the substations have you ever had any snakes that get in there or go underneath the fence
2: Oh yeah yeah there's there's snakes it's pretty hard to I know that they I think they're starting to put snake guards at like basically where the fence meets the yard rock but they're tricky i mean anywhere you know with conduit it's a big pipe with two open holes on either end and snakes can get in everywhere it's pretty Pretty wild, especially with a lot of the old substations that have been around forever. They find their ways in nooks and crannies and stuff like that, especially with like rodents and pests. I've had an experience when we were setting transformers. There's about 100 transformers on a project, and it was in Texas. And when they put the transformers down and prepared them for installation, they had a bunch of rattlesnakes <laughs> that would crawl in and nest inside these transformers that were on the 4x4 donnage. And so, yeah, we'd have to go and test the transformers acceptance, test them for commissioning and power factor, test them. And before we place them on the pad and yeah, you'd open it up and there would be a six foot back or something like that. It was always interesting. So,
1: wow, yeah, so. that would be my worst nightmare. <laughs> Absolutely. That's crazy. And what are some new tools and technologies that you are using as a substation technician?
2: There's a lot of stuff that's advancing. I talked to an engineer named Steve Bloom, and he's really at the cutting edge technology of substations. I know at least for the grid, they're starting to use artificial intelligence with their protective relay schemes, which basically it's so incredible if you think about it, you have all these possible faults that can occur. And if a fault occurs and you need to de-energize a line or take a component out of service, um, the automation aspect of it... to you know, take into account the fault that's happened and switch open and close a bunch of relays and everything immediately to re-energize something else or to divert the power away from that location to allow the people to work on it. So I find that really interesting. As far as tooling, there's a lot of cool stuff. I know that we had the presses, like the compression presses that are being used. And I know for cables, a lot of companies and utilities for construction They've had problems with like knife cuts. A lot of common accidents are with cutting and and uh, hand cuts with using your knives when you're stripping cable. And mm-hmm. I've seen that they have, a, it's basically like a tube attachment that you attach to your drill that has a blade at the end of it. And so you spin the drill and you set the depth of it and it strips the cable for you without having to use a knife or anything like that. And it's super fast. I know for connecting wires to basically transformers or any gear, they have shear bolt compression lugs and so instead of like stripping your cable and putting it into a lug and then having to screw it and torque it in you basically put the lug on top and the sheer force of screwing in these bolts that are on there it shears off and it compresses the lug to the cable and so it makes it basically hyper fast for stripping and installing cables that's been pretty impressive so yeah that's essentially what i've seen so far Um, hand tools have been the same for a long time
1: And what are some memorable experiences that you've had as a journeyman wireman during your career?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. There's been a lot of them. Uh, I'd have to say just a lot of the camaraderie is really nice. I mean, a lot of it is, you know, you take a call out and you go to a job that's far from home and you meet a bunch of random people that are from all over the country. And you basically all have the same purpose. You're tasked with wiring stuff up and doing these installations and meeting those guys. I mean, there's always... A bunch of characters, you know, like just some really wild people that you wouldn't normally meet, and you're all working together. Um, for me, I love, I like building. I'm not really big on maintaining things, so like the completion of the project is always nice. A lot of the hard work that goes into it. Spent a lot of time working overseas. It's been really interesting getting to wire stuff up, doing that aspect of things. I think one of my favorite projects was working at a dam, and we got to basically remove these 500 kb transformers and the only way to get to one of the dams was via boat and wow. so so it was a really interesting project we had to take a barge across the lake and disassemble these massive transformers of the sizes of like tiny houses and uh, de-energize them ground them disassemble them this company basically essentially brought giant remote control cars it's like a platform on on wheels with i think it was like 10 wheels or something like that and place this giant transformer on this remote control platform and then it would go down the hill through the woods and onto a barge and then barge it across this lake and then load it on a truck and then remove it so that was more so substation technician work but uh yeah it was just a lot of fun and it was such a huge task um yeah that was definitely probably the most memorable job for me it was a lot of fun it was very difficult a lot of things could go wrong but uh, it ended up going very well
1: Yeah, that's fascinating, Parker. And then what about your overseas work? You said that you worked in 20 different countries. What countries did you work in and what was it like working overseas?
2: Yeah, working overseas was an incredible experience. And I think that um, if anyone getting the chance could do it, they definitely should. I've been all over the place, Uh, a lot of countries in Africa, uh, primarily West Africa. Uh, I was in Liberia, The Ivory Coast is in the Congo is in Djibouti and then yeah, a lot of Southeast Asia. I worked in Indonesia, worked in Cambodia. And then uh, there's a lot of ones in Central Asia. I think it was like Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, some countries in Europe. It was Albania, worked in Tunisia. Yeah, it was great. I worked on the embassies and stuff like that. And it was just a super interesting experience because in a lot of these countries there isn't hardware stores there aren't tool stores. There aren't specialty electrical equipment stores. <laughs> so you really, you really had to learn to MacGyver, and uh, I think that's where my skill set, at least with the tools, really improved drastically. Couldn't go and get other you know, face tape, for example, like blue, red, and white, or whatever. And essentially, you'd have to take tapes off and reuse them, and make everything look nice, and make sure that it was to code, and um, basically reusing any demolished equipment that we had you know, refurbishing it to make it look nice and brand new and having to use it. So there's like every day there's just difficult challenges. I mean, a lot of the infrastructure in other countries is pretty poor. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, a lot of the concrete they use in other countries has a lot of dirt in it. So it's not very structurally sound. So like we would try to mount panels, electrical panels, and you drill a hole in the wall uh, mm-hmm. to, to put your anchors in, and the concrete would just like completely crumble. <laughs> so, oh, no. So you'd end up having to like demolish the wall and Ugh. use, yeah, your own concrete that you mix together and then let it set and let it dry and then anchor yeah. it. Yeah. So there was a lot of stuff like that where it should just be, you know, one, two. Three, knockout, um, super easy stuff, but it was, nothing was easy about it at all.
1: <laughs> yeah, that sounds incredibly challenging. And then how did you learn about the opportunities to work overseas? And were you doing mostly electrical work or did you do any substations or line work while you were there?
2: Yeah, um, it was mostly electrical work. It was essentially everything that uh, started from the fuse disconnect switch into facilities. It was interesting how I got into it. I had always wanted to work overseas and I didn't really search on how to, but I always was asking myself the question of, you know, occasionally, you know, how could I get into this? How could I get a job working overseas? Because I really wanted to travel. I love to travel. And I think I just asked it enough that uh, one day I was on a job site and I met a man who owned a company that had this like to do overseas work. And essentially I was talking to him when I met him on a job and he's like, yeah, well, my company does this. We have overseas work. And, and I just knew that that was the opportunity and, and asked him how to get into it. And The next thing I know, he interviewed me for a job and, and the next thing I knew, I was on the road traveling and, and bouncing around.
1: And how often do you travel and where is your home base?
2: Currently, I have a house north of Seattle in Marysville, Washington, and I'm no longer doing the overseas work the deal with COVID kind of put a wrench in everything for everybody in that manner. But sure. I'm still traveling now in the Pacific Northwest and it's pretty frequent. They'll be on a new job anywhere uh, every three to six months. This one I'm about to go on should be should be longer than that. So, but yeah, I've been traveling. I, I've lived out of a hotel more than I've lived at my own house for the past 10 years. And I, I think that's something that people should really know about what these guys do in the trade is that sacrifice of always being on the road, not always knowing where you're going to be next week, being away from your family and working long hours. And uh, yeah, traveling is hard. It's, it's hard. Uh, You know, a lot of guys spend a lot of time away from their families and uh, you know, it breaks their families up and it it hurts them. And uh, it's really hard to do. I mean, I don't have any advice for it really. I uh, just try to call everyone as often as I can, but uh, just trying to maintain that balance. I mean, it's nice to go out and chase the money Is it good to have the money to support your family, but you don't see them? Or is it better to not have as much money and see your family more? I mean, it's different for everybody, but it's just, it's, uh, you know, a lot of life isn't the answers that you get, but it's the questions you ask yourself. So just have the self-awareness of what's going on in your life and think about how you can make it better or how you can make other people's lives better.
1: And then you had mentioned before that it's hard to find good food on the road and you've had your share of gas station burritos. How can workers in the trade stay fit and healthy when they're constantly on the go?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I know a lot of us abide by the gas station diet, especially in a lot of these rural areas where the only thing on the way to work is a gas station. But uh, yeah, I read a, a couple books about health and I've taken it more seriously. I definitely put on a lot of weight when I started traveling. Essentially, at home workouts, I use a lot of bands and stuff like that. But for diets, essentially, there's a lot of myths about it. And I know with nutrition... There's a lot of different perspectives on what's right and what's wrong. But the best thing that you can do is first in the morning is is get hydrated. So I always drink a bunch of cold water and that actually kickstarts your metabolism. I follow a slow carb diet and it's pretty easy and cheap. Uh, Essentially, you take all your carbs and which is like anything that's starch based and you replace them with uh, lentils or beans. And uh, essentially the carbohydrates and lentils or beans, your body just rips through them and uses them as energy it keeps me lean and it keeps me energized and it keeps me sharp. So I try to make sure that my diet's as good as possible. And so yeah, sometimes I fall off and it's a busy day and I get the gas station burrito, but yeah, trying to just like plan my meals and prepare them for the day, usually on a day off or something like that has really helped.
1: That's good advice, Parker. And then in addition to your job, you're also in the process of launching a new electrical construction podcast. Can you talk about your podcast?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be called The Shock Center and it's going to be the podcast about electrical construction. That's essentially me interviewing people that are involved in the electrical industry, some of the some of the big people that Make things happen. Some of the game changers and how they're involved in all aspects. I've talked to interview engineers who have had 40 years of experience and talk about the science behind things and interview some of my coworkers. So I interviewed this one guy, Dwayne Shockley. He's an incredible wireman. I mean, he does the work of four people and ask them, you know, what are their tactics? What makes them the best? And and essentially, how can we make the industry better? We talk about new technologies that are emerging and identify problems and common links between problems that a lot of us face so that we can make things better for the guys that are working in it. And then also hardships and the hazards that people face. I mean, it's an incredibly dangerous job and safety is a huge factor. It's important, but just letting the public know, hey, there's so much that goes on to bring your light, your heat, your cooling. People die, give you that. And essentially you know, don't take it for granted. The system's very fragile. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of people, the overall intelligence and the complications that have to go on to allow you to flip a switch and have electricity all the time. It's a big deal. And when you're born with electricity, you take it for granted. You don't know you've never not had it. Right. And it was a big deal for me when I went overseas because I saw how many people don't have electricity. I mean, it's pretty insane. And we've had it since the late eighteen hundreds it's been around for us and we've been blessed with it. So it's something that, you know, it's there and we need to be be aware of and understand. Like, hey, these people are putting their lives on the line. They're sacrificing time with their families, their health, you know, for you to have that. So that's a really important highlight of this show.
1: Wonderful. I can't wait to listen to it. And Parker, thank you for taking the time to do an interview for the Line Life podcast. I enjoyed hearing about your traveling adventures and your work in the substation world.
2: Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Amy. Thanks for your time. That was a lot of fun. This episode of The Line Life Podcast
0: was written and recorded by Amy Krishbott. It was produced by Jeff Polstoyne. That's me. Please follow this show to be updated when new episodes are released and check out all of our episodes at tdworld.com backslash podcasts. Also, please email us at podcast all one word, at gmail.com with your comments about this episode and suggestions for future podcast guests. Thank you for listening to The Line Life Podcast.